Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Our guest today is Ariana Davis, the author of What Would Frida Do? A Guide to Living Boldly. And she's the digital director at Oprah's online magazine. We talk today about Frida Kahlo, creativity, and yes, a little bit about Oprah. Reminder, the Stacks Book Club book for December is Citizen, an American Lyric by Claudia Ranking. And we will discuss the book on Wednesday, December 30th with Darnell Moore. This week, I'm shouting out a handful of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, the folks who support the work of the show through monthly contributions on Patreon. They earn perks like our virtual book club and discounts on merch and a lot more. If you want to join, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Today, I'm saying thank you to Megan Vineyard, Tiana Brunner, Elizabeth Cruikshank, Megan Bainbridge, Raylan Torngren, Chris Hodes, Sarah Peterson, Elizabeth Winter, Julie Chigbrow, and Rebecca McFadron. Thank you again, and thank you to the whole entire Stacks Pack. Without you, there is no podcast. Okay, on to my conversation with Ariana Davis. All right, everybody. I'm here today with Ariana Davis. She is the author of a brand new book called What Would Frida Do? Ariana, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much for having me. I have been so looking forward to this all week. I'm really excited to have you. You let me know you are a fan of the show, which always makes me really excited. So there's a lot of mutual excitement today. Um, We always start in the same place. So in about 30 seconds or so, can you just tell me about your book? Sure. What would Frida do is, I like to say, part self-help, part biography. It looks at the lessons that we can learn from the life of the iconic artist Frida Kahlo. Um, She obviously is someone who was so far ahead of her time and was an icon as a queer feminist, Latinx, all all of the things back in the 1930s. So it basically just looks at like what can we learn from her all these years later in 2020. That's that was very, that was thirty seconds. That, that was very that was good. very that was very hard. That was, that hard. was, I was very like, good. Uh, I, feel like, I feel like it's thirty two. No, no, you've done <laughs> it. I never hold anybody to that, and sometimes people go really long, and then sometimes the time constraint makes people go really short, and they're like, "My book is about Frida," and I'm like, "Okay, not helpful." No, that was perfect. Right on, right on. I'm curious about writing this book now. Why this book now? Why are you, why did you feel compelled to tell this story? Sort of how did you come to this work? Because, you know, as you mentioned, it's the 1930s that Frida Kahlo was sort of doing her thing. So, you know, it's, it's like not 50 years later. It's not, you know, like, so I'm just sort of curious how you decided. 
Yeah. So I, the, the process happened a little backwards for me. And I like to share the story just to be honest in that the publisher actually came to me with this idea. So they actually, um, so seal press, which is an imprint of Hachette books. Um, they had this idea that, you know, in this time of kind of, um, where women are finally being encouraged to be their most bold, authentic selves. They were interested in just the on the the enduring legacy of Frida Kahlo and how she, as an icon, is just like someone who, even as we said, she's you know died in nineteen. Um, she died a long time ago, and she yet still, decades later, it's still such a. We see her face everywhere. She's on tote bags and murals and mugs, and you know she's all over Instagram and Pinterest. So they were interested in publishing something around her legacy, but they were looking for the right writer. So um, actually my agent had heard through the grapevine that I was a really big Frida fan, which, you know, you're a huge Frida fan and people like hear through the grapevine <laughs> that you're a Frida fan. So she basically reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I want, I wondered if you might have any ideas. Is, 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 are you interested in writing anything around Frida? And so at first I was a little hesitant because like you said, I kind of was like, why now? And also there's been so many books that have been written about Frida. There was a movie with Selma Hayek that was nominated for Oscars. Is there anything that I can contribute to the legacy of this artist that we already know so well? And then the more I thought about it, the more, you know, over time, as I was kind of considering it, I would just be on Instagram or I would be on Pinterest or Twitter. And I would just see kind of random people either misquoting her or posting like random quotes that seemed very out of context or, you know, just posting her image. And I realized that I did feel like there's a new generation that maybe doesn't know her story as well. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like she just has such a complex story for someone who was so far ahead of her time that it does feel like there's so much there to mine as lessons that we can all learn from now. And so um, together we came up with this idea of what would Frida do in that, yes, it's, you know, looking at Frida's life and it is part biography, but I did also want it to be a source of inspiration for anybody who, you know, in these times that we're living in, this was, you know, I wrote the book before the pandemic, which is like, you know, (laughs) it ended up being something, I think we all need inspiration more now than ever, but even before the pandemic had started, you know, it felt like we're just living in a time where I think women and women of color specifically are finally being encouraged like be bold, live your life authentically, but how, how can you do that? And, you know, who are the women that we can look to for inspiration? And I feel like Frida is one of them. So that was kind of how it all came together. And I came up with this idea of what would Frida do? So to tell her story to a new generation, hopefully, but also just offer a little bit of inspiration for anybody who needs it. That's such an interesting origin story for a book. I think you're the first author to ever say that the publisher sort of came to you with the idea. Do you know if that's common? Have you heard of that happening? Or is your case sort of a rare one? It does happen. I think that because, um, you know, my my day job is as digital director for Oprah Magazine. And I think, you know, that has given me a little bit of visibility. And But even actually my publisher mentioned that they had followed some of my writing when I was at Refinery29. And so I think... I think for books like this, where it's about a real person or it's based in, you know, history or it's a nonfiction book, I think it is, I wouldn't say super common, but I think it is quite common for um, either publishing houses or agents to look to journalists or look to, you know, writers who Mm. have an established repertoire to um, work on a project like this one. So I think the fact that um, they had followed my work and that they heard through the grapevine I was a Frida fan also helps that I'm Latina. So I think that I think it was kind of a combination where they reached out and were like, hey, like, you know. And at the time, you know, we had actually just launched OprahMag.com, which is Oprah Magazine's website. Hadn't existed before. I know it's hard to believe, but we <laughs> launched it in, tw- in fall 2018. 
So my life was literally, I mean, I was literally already working crazy hours. And so at the time it was like the idea of writing a book, which is something I've always dreamed of doing since I was a kid. But I was just like, I don't know if I can do this now, the timing. It's a book about Frida Kahlo, which is going to take so much crazy research. And so at first I was a little bit like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this work. But then it was literally like this fell into my lap. So it was (laughs) like, I, I was like, I'm not turning down the opportunity to A, write a book and B, write a book about Frida. So I made it work. That's so cool. I love that. And I love that you kind of took, I love, at least this is me putting words into your mouth. So let's see. But I felt like in (laughs) reading the book, you took her biography and you also were like, look, I'm not a biographer. I'm not going to be able to add anything to the history of this person that people know who's been researching all that. So what can I bring to the book? And I felt like you brought this really great energy and you brought sort of this like, I don't know, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but like millennial vibe. I am one. So I don't say that disparagingly, but like you brought sort of this fun, playful energy and this fresh look uh, on the art and the person. And I thought that was really cool because I definitely, when I picked up the book was sort of like, what is this person going to tell me about Frida that I can't already find out about her? Like it wasn't like all of a sudden there was this new drop of information before you wrote the book. So I like that you sort of took, you didn't just fall into the trap of doing exactly what someone else has done, but you were like, what can I bring to the work? And that really shines through because it is a unique take on art and artists that we love. And I sort of wish there were more books like this about other influential people who maybe we quote a lot or maybe we think of their work a lot, but we can't quite understand them in the modern, in our modern space. Like who would Frida have been if she was alive now, you know, in her prime now? So I appreciate that you sort of, you know, made it your own, if you will. Thank you for saying that. I, I, I definitely did that. I think very intentionally, because as you said, when this first came about, I, I think when I first started writing, I very much was like trying to be serious biographer and was like, you know, <laughs> pouring through the research and like, just like I was so caught up in the idea of like getting it right and making sure that I didn't miss anything and that everything was <clears throat> factually uh, correct because she is someone that we know so well through movies and books. But there was a 1983 biography written by Hayden Herrera that is actually the book that the movie is based on. And that's kind of like the gold standard, like 600 page biography about Frida. And so the more I was writing, the more I was like, I can't write this as just a straight biography that's already been done. I'm not adding anything to, to that conversation. What is it that I want to say and what can I add to the kind of carrying on the torch of her legacy in my own way? And so that was when I think when I shifted my perspective that way, that's when I started to actually have some fun with the book. And it it felt like fun. And I I think once I actually got a little bit creative and just started to actually have fun as a writer, you know, I actually fiction is my first love. I never thought that my first book would be nonfiction. I always, (laughs) you know, I'm like, literally, like, you know, started my love of reading began with like the babysitters club and always has just been fiction. And so my dream has always been to write a novel. That's always what I wanted to do first and foremost. So the fact that this kind of landed in my lap in this way and that I ended up with my first book being fiction, I think that part of the creative the creative approach that I think I took to the book was that love of just like, you know, being imaginative and having fun and telling a story that's maybe a little bit different than like the, the typical story. Yeah. I have a very specific question about Frida. So sorry if this is a little in the weeds. It's not a spoiler, everybody. I don't think. <laughs> I, maybe it is. I mean, if you don't know, any, yeah, if you don't know <laughs> anything about Frida Kahlo, 
uh, this might be a spoiler, but I'm really curious about uh, Diego Rivera's affairs and also sort of how that has played out publicly. Because in the book, I, I mean, you focus a lot on his affairs. And I think that that's something that maybe people know is that like she was famously cheated on a lot. I didn't know it was with her sister, but like, you know, there's a lot of transgressions going on. And I'm curious why Frida's affairs didn't don't get as much play publicly, like why she has sort of become like this like scorned lover, even though she was also off like doing her thing. And I'm just sort of curious, like why you think that might be. I think, and, and I even grappled with this a bit with, with with writing the book because I, as the writer and being a woman myself, you know, I was very aware of not wanting to like, for lack of a better word, I was not interested in slut shaming or like, you know, she was somebody who was very um, sexually fluid and was somebody who, you know, had a lot of lovers and had her own affairs. And so I wanted to make sure to tell those stories in the book without, you know, making it seem like, look at all the people free to sleep with, you know? And so, but at the, on the flip side, I also was, which I nod to a little bit in the book, it, it was kind of like good for her because Diego was out here, you know, doing way, way worse. And I think that she does get this reputation as scorn lover because um, she was, you know, always so vocally a proponent for Diego and, and loved him so much. And so much of her art was about him. And, and I think the heartbreak that he brought to her life. So I think that for people who don't necessarily know the ins and outs and her backstory, those are the things I think that stick out the most. And I think, I do think the story of him cheating on the sister, all of those things I think make us automatically kind of team Frida. And so it's mm. like, it does, we do want to focus on, more of it being about how she was scorned but the reality is she also did her own things but to be fair in my research from what it seems as though you know the, the her doing her thing wasn't until Diego was doing his thing first so oh, it was like I, I so I think that it was like she was you know in love with him and she did marry him with the understanding that he wasn't necessarily always going to be faithful but I think that she thought of it as like, and this is just my interpretation based on everything I know, but I think she thought of it as like, he might have an indiscretion here or there, but like he would keep it away from her versus like he was just out here straight cheating and like everybody knew it and it was very disrespectful. And I think she got to a place where she was like, still heartbroken over it, but still then kind of was like, well, then I'm going to do my own thing. And it their relationship was so toxic and so messy. And I think that's the one thing when I talk about the book and the inspiration I want people to take from it, I'm like, I like when we say what would Frida do, it's not meant to be like live your life like Frida did, because obviously she did a lot of things that were very messy, right? It's not, I'm not saying like you need to have like, you know, a toxic man in your life like Diego. But to me, what I took away from there with from their love was at the end of the day, like Frida was so unapologetic in the way she loved Diego. Like she, Mm. that was her man. She didn't care that people called him the elephant to her dove. She didn't care that you know, he, what everyone else's opinions didn't matter to her. It was all, it was what she wanted and she didn't care what other people said. And so even though I wouldn't agree with it, even though I wouldn't have taken back my husband after he cheated with my sister, all all of those things, I still can appreciate that she, she really loved him and that their love was passionate and she um, chose that, that route for herself. And so it's, you know, again, not my choice, but the fact that Frida chose that unapologetically, it's like, I guess good for her. Yeah, because I I think you make that really clear in the book that a lot of the things that she did, she did fully and completely. And, you know, while she might have had doubts or she might have had fears or anxieties, I mean, she certainly struggled with, you know, depression and other things like 
or that's what it seems like at least um she still was very bold in her choices and like if they were wrong they were loud wrong um and i just want to say i am not slut shaming frida if that if that at all came across i actually quite the opposite was want was curious because she gets that rap of being like this scorned lover and like this like she's the dove and like woo 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 that i sort of was like wait 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 she was out here fucking everybody and like we should be talking (laughs) about that because like sure diego was a hoe but so was she and like that's quality (laughs) in a really big way like that they both were able to go out and be sleeping with everybody and like to do their thing on their own like I i don't know i'm here for it and i wish there was more of that like I wish we talked about that more when it comes to her is that like because also she was physically disabled from um from polio and then also from this accident this bus accident so I think like there's this idea that people who are injured or who have become disabled or are born disabled or whatever that they aren't sexual or that they can't be sexual and so I think part of the Diego stuff is like he was cheating on her because she couldn't have babies and this and that and it's like well she could not have children but she also was not not having a lot of sex <laughs> like she was out <laughs> in these streets and like good for her she was. She really was. One of my favorite quotes, there's, um, for anyone who reads the book, there's like some um, design kind of pull quotes that come out. And I, one of my favorite ones was, um, make love, take a bath, make love again. Like, yeah. I just think that's so simple. And it's like very, and it's, it just, I think, like you said, Frida was very sensual, was very sexual. But I, I agree that I think over the years, she has been she's kind of become this symbol of just like pain and weakness. And it's like, no, she was like a badass, fierce woman who also was like very in touch with her sexuality with both genders, with whoever, you know, she wanted to. And she was and this was a time also before labels, right? So she, the fact that she so openly and everyone knew that she was fluid and that she just cared more about, you know, embracing her sexuality with whoever that might be before, you know, having to put a label on it. I also think it's something that, is why she, you know, years later has also become an icon for the queer community as well. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said all of that because I do think that the way, the way that history sometimes sanitizes people based on one thing or another is boring. And I like that she's complicated and that there's lots of different parts to her and there's, you know, not just sexuality wise, but again, you know, mental health and physical health and physical ability. And also her art was really varied. She wasn't just doing painting. She was also doing what were they called? Lithograph, lithographs? Lithograph? Yeah. Lithographs. Yeah. She, she definitely experimented and she also, when it came to her art, it was like, you know, everyone was dying to, again, put a label on on her art. They were like, she's a surrealist. She's this, she's that. And she always was just like, I, you know, don't paint dreams or nightmares. I paint my own reality is one of her most famous quotes. And I think that that is real. It's like she was not so much interested in painting for like the art community or trying things just to appease, you know, whatever, whatever was trendy at the time. It was like she was literally a storyteller telling her own story. And her her mode was just on canvas, which I think is so interesting. Has the book changed from where from where you set out to write it to where it is now? Like when you got started, I know you went to Mexico City. You talk about that. You went to Casa Azul, uh, which is Frida's was her childhood home and is now the Frida Kahlo Museum. Um, so how how did that experience of kind of researching and going there change the book, if at all? Yeah, it changed the book completely, to be honest. I think that was the turning point for me. And from going from trying to make it this like, more straightforward, like, 
I think the original, my first start at it was like straightforward biography with like a little fun and a couple lessons. But I, I think I was about maybe like probably a quarter of the way through, maybe almost half. And, um, I just felt very blocked. I just felt like creatively, I was like, there's something missing. I just feel like I am not giving this like my all, I'm not giving it all I've got. And I just felt a little bit stuck. I think a little bit of writer's block for lack of a better word. And then, you know, as I was writing, I just remember, I think I was writing something about her home, La Casa Azul. And I remember just feeling like, I just was struck with the thought of like, I need to go to Mexico. Like, it's just like, I just, I need to go. I was like, I have to go. I don't feel like I can write a book about freedom. I've been to Mexico City many times. I have been to La Casa Azul, but I just felt like during the process of writing this book, it was really important for me to go to Mexico and to try to just like channel some Frida energy and to also just do research and also make sure that I was getting it right. One of the things that was really important for me also is yes I'm Latina so I'm, I'm I'm biracial my dad is black he's African-American and my mom my mom is Puerto Rican um and I identify as Latina but that's not the same as being Mexican so that was another thing that I was wanted to really make sure that I got right was making sure that I you know researched her heritage that I really understood her culture and that I that I did my due diligence and paid respect to that so there were a lot of readings both reasons both for that and then also just for wanting to kind of give myself a set of fresh creative eyes that I went to Mexico City and I I just kind of I treated it as like my own little writer's retreat I stayed I and it was also helpful because my day job again is working for O so during the process it was really hard to carve out writing time with having such a busy day job so I literally just like took the week off it was like my vacation from work and I went to I stayed in Kowayakan which is the neighborhood that Frida's from and like a little Airbnb and during the day I would spend a lot of time at La Casa Azul just like taking notes and studying different things. Or, and I went to also, there's another museum, um, the house that her and Diego lived in in San Angel, which is connected by a bridge that's also now a museum. There's some different like libraries and bookstores where I could find rare books about Frida. So I basically just like spent the day either doing research or just walking around, like just being very writerly and like wandering the streets and like imagining, <laughs> you know, if I was Frida, like what would Frida be feeling? And just trying to like, soak up that energy. And then at night I would literally just write and write and write. And it was, it was probably the best thing I could have done, honestly, for myself on a personal level, just to even unlock, I feel like a little bit of like a creative wall that I think was up and just disconnecting from like social media and from work and all of those things. But also just being able to really say that I feel like I really did my research and I, I did my due diligence. And that was where the intro of the book came from, where I talk about um, you know, what it was like being at La Casa Azul and feeling like Frida and a lot of times during my process was with me. I think all of those things really came because I, I took that trip to Mexico. So I think that that was really like the turning point for me where, again, I think that was when I really started to actually have fun with the book and enjoy the process versus it feeling like this chore of writing a Frida biography. So after you left Mexico for that week, how much of the book's actual writing did you then do? Or did you get a good chunk of the actual book written while you were there? I did get a good chunk written while I was there. I think that after that point, I I think like I, I really, I wrote like the intro and I think I wrote um, several chapters while I was in Mexico. And then once I got back home, I think that that kind of new perspective that I have, I went back and edited a lot of, a lot of chapters that I had already written. So it was kind of a, it was a combination of like, starting fresh and and also then like going back and kind of editing some of the stuff that I had done. So a lot of it was, I think, written already in like just some of the more straightforward bi biographical things that I had written. But then also like 
every chapter is set up where, you know, every, every chapter is a theme. So there's, as you know, there's a team about, you know, there's heartbreak, there's creativity, there's love, there's sex, there's identity. They're all, they're all themed. And so um, just going through each chapter and making sure that I really felt like each chapter felt alive and then it didn't just feel like a biography. And then also each chapter ends with just some fun facts and um, just the lessons that I, as a Frida fan took from writing this book and from studying her life. So I think that um, a lot of the biographical stuff was kind of already done, but then I kind of went back and really just like had fun and, and looked at it, I think from a new, a new perspective. That's very cool. While you were here in the States after your trip, where did you do a lot of your writing? Were you, did you go to a coffee shop still? Were you still out in the world or could you hunker down in your home and do the work there? Like kind of how did you recreate a creative space for yourself? Um, the two, the two, I, I think my two creative spaces, one is my desk. So I live in a studio apartment in New York, which Tracy is looking at right now. It's literally, <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it's a, you know, studios, it's just one room. So, um, you know, on a practicality level, I did usually end up just at my desk in my studio a lot of the times, but actually not long before I started writing the book, I live in Long Island city in Queens and they had just opened a new like community library. Literally mm. like it was almost like, it was like, God was like, Hey, like you need to get out of your apartment to write. I got you. So there's literally this little library that just opened and it has like the most beautiful views of the city. So that was also another place where I would get a lot of writing done. So it was pretty much between those two places. I, I did, I did the coffee shop thing a few times, but I think for me, I think the majority of the writing of this book was definitely just like at my desk, the, that library, and then while I was in Mexico City. Very cool. If you could have the audience sort of take away like one big thing from the book, I know you mentioned sort of about Frida's, um, her, you know, not just having been a scorned lover or whatever, but was there anything else sort of like on the whole about Frida that you would hope your audience would be able to take from this book? The, the strongest quote and lesson I think I took from Frida while writing this book, she, so she, she had a, an accident when she was 18 that left her, you know, with a lifetime of illnesses and surgeries, and she was never able to have kids because of it. She had a husband who, you know, she had an extremely toxic relationship with. She um, died at a young age. She never really got to see her, her own fame before she died. I mean, there, there were just so many obstacles that she had in her life and challenges and difficulties. And yet the thing that always strikes me is that in her final painting that she painted before she died, she wrote the message Viva la Vida, which means live your life or long live life. And so for me, I think uh, the reason why I really connected to Frida so much and the message that I want people to know is just that she was somebody who had so many obstacles and life challenges, and yet she still had this positive outlook on life somehow. And sometimes like even now, like I you know, I've been having a rough time in this pandemic and with the racial reckoning and like things in my personal life, there's just like a lot going on. And some days I just wake up and I'm like, all I really want to do is watch Netflix and just feel sorry for myself. But then I think about the fact that like Frida with all of those things that were way worse that she had in her life, she still managed to have this outlook of like, live your life. You only get one of it, like long live life. And the fact that she, even knowing that she was going to die soon, managed to put that message out into the world. That is what really sticks with me. And I think that that's the the main message that or takeaway that I hope anyone who reads this book might get is that like, you know, whether you're a Frida fan or not, this is the story of somebody who went through so much in her life and yet still managed to live her life to the fullest and still recognize the value in living boldly and living your life your own way. 
That is so well said and so good. Um, we're going to take a quick break because that was so good. We have to just let that marinate for a second and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I want to transition a little bit more into your process. I know we sort of touched on that a little bit earlier with your trip to Mexico, uh, Mexico City, but I do want to know sort of what sort of stuff were you watching or listening to or reading while you were in the process of writing this book, if you even remember? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I think I definitely was doing a lot of music. I am, I'm one of those people where I feel like if I'm like binge watching a lot of TV, I find it hard to read and vice versa. So with writing, I find it the same. So I think at the time I wasn't really reading or watching much, but I definitely was listening to, um, I listened to a lot of mariachi because it was like Frida and I tried to listen to a lot of like a lot of her favorite artists. I really was like trying to like set the, the, the freedom. Mm. Mood. So I was like, I, I also listened to the soundtrack um, to the freedom movie on Netflix, which is on Spotify. I highly recommend. 
Um, I listened to Rosalia, who is an amazing artist. I highly, if you, she's from Spain. She's a flamenco dancer. I'm, I'm sorry, a flamenco artist, but she also kind of she combines flamenco with like R and B and reggaeton. She's like really creatively, just so I find the way that she approaches music to just be really like creatively inspiring. So I tried to listen to music that I felt like either reminded me or felt like Frida or that was even if it was contemporary music, like music that I felt like in my channeling of her that she would have been into. So it was definitely a very like heavily like Spanish or even just like Latin jazz. I tried to kind of dig into that vibe, but also just jazz music, like um, Coltrane, a lot of people don't know, like there were so many little tidbits that I don't even think ended up making it into the book, but like Frida was a big Coltrane fan and she was actually really into jazz. So I was listening to a lot of jazz music also. So it was kind of just like trying to literally channel my like inner Frida through like the things that I felt like she would be listening to and loving. That's really cool. I didn't ask you this before when you were talking about your writing process, but you know, you listen to the show. This is the most important question, which is what is your writing setup like? How often are you doing it? Are you having snacks and beverages? What are the rituals? Are you lighting a candle? Like what is your writing setup? So I, while writing this book, it was, there was kind of like two versions of of my writing self. One was like, I have a deadline that I have to meet and I also have a day job. So it was like, sometimes (laughs) I didn't have the like bandwidth to do the whole like, like I definitely on a normal day, like my, my, like on a Saturday, here's what it was. It was, it was definitely lighting candles. It was getting my little snacks, setting them up on my desk, putting together my playlist. Like I, I I feel like the preparation before writing was like a 30 minute rich like situation (laughs) where it was like prepping the playlist, getting my snacks, lighting the candles, um, making sure I would have like a little backpack in case I like felt like I wanted to, I did want to like change scenery and go to the library or to the, or to the coffee shop. So it was definitely uh, a lot of that. And I just, and while I was writing the book, it was a tight deadline. Um, And so because I did have my day job during the week, which meant that I wasn't always able to write during the week, really like Saturdays was like my day where I would just get up early and I'm not a morning person. So I would have to like get up early and drink my coffee and try to wake myself up. And then I would spend like pretty much every Saturday and most of Sundays just writing. That was like my writing days for the most part. But then during the week, I would kind of get home and be a little exhausted, but remember that like I still had 40,000 words to write or whatever. And so I would at least try to get like an hour done of writing during the week. Um, But those were the days that I dreaded. I I was more like happy when I had like a Saturday and I just knew that the day was ahead of me to just like do my thing. You evaded the important part. What are the snacks? What are the beverages? Uh, Snacks. Okay. So one thing that I have realized, this is like really getting in the weeds here, but one thing I have realized is that there are certain snacks that are not good for typing. So like like there are just certain, there are certain like, you know, like Flaming Hot Cheetos, for instance, not great for your keyboard because your fingers are like super, right? So like there are certain things like I, um, so I became, and I also was like trying to not just like totally eat like crappy shits. Honey roasted cashews became like a, a, a okay. thing that I would, cause it's like a good, it's a good like snack. It gives you a little crunch, but I also didn't feel like I was like just eating like just the worst possible stuff. Um, I would do, I'm trying to think what else I would have. Chips and guacamole is like a good, like if I needed just like a break, but I didn't have time to make like a whole full like lunch right. situation. Um, what else? I'm trying to remember now. I'm like kind of a boring snacker. I feel like when That's I'm okay. like actually writing, because again, it's like, I can't be too messy. Right. I'm like, yeah. I have to actually keep my keyboard clean, but 
yeah, I think that those are probably like the two main snacks. I wish that I had something more interesting, but that's no, it. those are great. Some people don't have any snacks. They don't eat. I'm like, you don't eat. What's wrong with you? I hate you. No, I eat. <laughs> I will say about co- I'm definitely a coffee fiend. Coffee is definitely like probably how I survived. Got it. I survived life per- period. But also, I think this book, I definitely had a lot, a lot of caffeine just because again, I knew I'm not a morning person, but like those morning hours, I had to take advantage of it. So that's what what got me through. Good for you. Good for you. Okay. We have to talk about your other job because you've mentioned it a few times and you're the digital director at Oprah magazine, um, which is now also OprahMag.com, which is the website version that you alluded to earlier. How did you, I'm assuming because you're a black woman that working for Oprah is super fucking exciting to you too, or at least it was when you got started. So I'm curious kind of like, how did that happen? And is it, is it like, I don't know, was it a dream when you met her? Like, I don't know. We have to talk a little bit about Oprah. I feel like. (laughs) We always, we always, we must always talk about Oprah. Um, I, I'll start with the second part of the question, which is it definitely is still a dream to work for her. I think for me, as a black woman, as a woman, as someone who I grew up with my mom watching the Oprah Winfrey show, sometimes it's helpful for me to have conversations like this to remind myself, like, holy shit, you work for Oprah. Like, yeah. it, it definitely is. It is, you know, it's amazing. And she is 100%. I think my favorite part about working for her is learning that she is exactly who she presents herself to be. I've, you know, through my job, I have gotten the privilege of interviewing celebrities and meeting people over the years. And it always makes me sad when I realize that like people are, you know, not as nice in, in real life or they're, they're, you know, kind of, kind of jerks or that they, you know, pretend, present themselves one way on TV or on Instagram or whatever, and that they're really not like that in real life. But the Oprah that we met and then we got to know for years to the Oprah Winfrey show is the Oprah that you see in person. Like she just is her most authentic self. And I think that's been the greatest lesson I could have taken from working for her. So the story of how I, so I actually, so I, it's a long story, but the short version is that I was I was an intern at, at Oprah Magazine right after college. Um, I always wanted to be in magazines, but you know, magazines is a it's a it's a hard world to crack into. It's definitely it's for you know something I would talk about a lot, especially as we're talking about hiring more diverse candidates, for lack of a better word, is you know it's it's definitely a very it's an industry for privileged white people. To be honest, you know it's it's like you have to you have to have the means to move to New York City, to be able to afford, you know, college credits while you were an undergrad, to you had to know the right people. And so I always wanted to be in magazines, but I just didn't think I would be able to break into it. So I was on the newspaper route. That was what I was studying print journalism. I was um, interning at the New York Daily News after graduation, which was still a big deal. Um, but I actually had met the publisher of 17 magazine. She was a Penn State alum while I was an undergrad. I, actually, I stalked her in the bathroom after she was speaking at a, an event. And I was like, I will basically die to like work at a magazine. What help, help me? Like, what can I do? And she, I think at first was a little scared that this girl had like stalked her in the bathroom, but then she gave me her business card. We stayed in touch. We had coffee. And I think there is just something in me from a young age that like, I don't know where it came from because I was a really shy kid, but I just knew that like I had to take advantage of opportunities when they were in front of me. And so I saw this person and I was like, please give me your business card. And we had lunch a few times. And then when there, I saw there was an internship, a post-grad internship opening that was paid at Oprah Magazine, which is under Hearst, the same company as 17. She, um, you know, basically found out who the best contact was, put me in, put in touch with the contact. And that was how I got my foot in the door. And 
Um, I started as an intern and then I later became Gail King's assistant. Um, I was Gail's assistant for about four years. That was literally the dream job working for Gail was like, I I can't even like, I could talk about working for Gail King all day long. She (laughs) is literally, she is an angel. She is just, she is incredible. So um, my first six years of my career was at O and then um, I was ready to spread my wings. So I left and I went to Us Weekly um, and I was an entertainment editor there. And then I went to Refinery29 where I was a senior features writer for a few years. And then in 2018, Hearst decided that they wanted to finally, after much, much long delay, that they wanted to launch a, an editorial website for Oprah Magazine. And so I came back to Hearst to launch the site. And that's where I've been since. Wow. That's pretty crazy. I love that you stalked that woman or man or that person. Um, <laughs> because it, first of all, it is very Frida in how she kind of got her foot in the door with Diego. I mean, you didn't create mm-hmm. a marriage out of that, but it's that same kind of energy. <laughs> it's definitely that what would Frida do energy, which is like show up and demand to be paid attention to, which I sort of love that sort of symmetry. Um, but also, did you read... Um, more than enough by Elaine Welterworth or whatever. Yes. She yes. has sort of a yes. similar intro story as well into how she got into magazines. And I'm sure, again, another Black woman that you probably feel some connection to just based on being in similar worlds. Um, okay, this is sort of a creepy question, but it is begging to be asked. What, I love creepy questions. What does Oprah <laughs> smell like? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> if I had, if I had like a, it's like I always just wonder. I'm like, why is that what people? It's like the one thing people want to know is what she smells like. It's like this. It's not like is her skin smooth? Is her like no? It's always well, is her skin like. smooth? <laughs> her skin is smooth. No, she smells. She smells great. She smells. I'm sure I know. I don't even remember at the top of the, off the top of my head, but she definitely has like a signature scent. But she. Smells very fresh and light. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm going to get off the question. Oprah thing. Though, if Oprah <laughs> wants to come on to the Sax podcast, just you can tell her there is always an opening for her. If she's available, I am available. But that's it for Oprah. Um, Noted. Noted. <laughs> I am curious, sort of, you'd mentioned that like you were very busy in your day life and then you also have, you know, this book that you're writing. So what is different? Because you because you wrote at Refinery29, you do write stuff. It's not all just digital content in the sense that it's like videos, like you're also creating written pieces. So what's the difference for you sort of writing this book versus writing these pieces or or creating content or whatever you want to call it um, in your day job? How do those things kind of butt up against each other? I think I I really missed, I mean, I had never written a book before, but I think I missed writing a lot more. So um, at, so at Oprah, what my job really looks like is um, we, our site publishes like between 12 to 15 stories a day. So a lot of my job is editing. It's also greenlighting pitches. It's also, it's kind of the more big picture editorial stuff, um, working with our advertising team, all that kind of stuff, which is all fun and great in its own right. But I definitely, I think I'm a writer at my core and at my heart. And that was my favorite part of Refinery where I was a senior features writer was, um, just writing sometimes like you know, personal essays or opinion pieces or reported features, but still even all of those kinds of pieces that you write as a journalist are different than a book. And so for me, I think, as I mentioned, the the trip to Mexico and just like kind of finally freeing myself of like, here's how I was taught to write, or here's how, you know, Mm. what it's like to write for someone else. Or I think a big thing that we think about as writers, as journalists is like writing for the voice of whatever outlet you're writing for, right? So 
for Oprah, I know that we're writing for our reader who is like in her early 40s and loves all things cozy and drinks wine and like is really into the royals. Like there's like things that I know about our reader. I call her Janet, by the way. She has like a full personality. She has like a whole profile. So I know Janet and I know when I'm writing for O or when I'm editing my my teen stories, I know what Janet's looking for. Just like at Refinery, I knew that it was like we were writing for like the millennial, young, empowered woman. Like it, it, you have that in mind versus with this book, I felt like it was like a fresh slate and I kind of mm. had in mind who I wanted the reader to be. I knew that this was a book I wanted it to be a book primarily for women and also for women of color. I feel like we're the ones who need that inspiration most. So I knew that that was my target reader, but I also knew that like I had so much more space to just write how I wanted to write and write in my own voice and do my own thing and to put Ariana into it as opposed to just Ariana, the journalist. So I think for me, that was the biggest difference was like having this clean slate and just being able to have fun with it. And like, if I did want to write about like the ghost of Frida haunting me in the middle of the night, like, why not? Who says I can? It's it's me. It's my book. So I think I just was able to have a little bit more fun. I, I keep saying the word fun, which probably sounds super nerdy because I'm talking about writing. But like for <laughs> me, it was it was fun because it was just like getting to actually like write how I wanted to write it without as many restraints as I think I normally would have. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Did you name your reader for your book? Like, does Janet have a daughter or or was it? Oh, my God. I haven't. I really haven't. You know, I, I I think the reader of the book in my mind, I talk in the book about Frida fans and how I think that our nickname, if we could nickname ourselves, would be Friduchas, which is like a play on, she used to call some of her students Friduchas, which was a play on her nickname, her childhood nickname. So I think that that's kind of the reader that I had in mind. But I also did want to expand it beyond like, I, I was imagining people in the bookstore who like literally know nothing about Frida and don't really care about her, but are like, this book cover is pretty, or like I could use a, a book about inspiration right now. So I don't want to just limit it to like super Frida fans either. So I kind of just like kept it a little bit more open-ended, I think. Yeah. I'm not a super Frida fan. And so I think I probably fall into that second category of people who are like, hmm, okay, sure. I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't know much about her though. I do have a weird family connection and this is sort of family lore. So maybe it's not true, but my grandfather allegedly was the, uh, was one of the translators for Diego Rivera when he painted the murals in New York city. Um, what? but that's I, so don't, cool. I don't know if that's true. That's what my, what my aunt, um, who was into like family tree, whatever stuff, like told us but I don't I don't know I couldn't find anything about him like his name's not anywhere so who knows but he did speak like 13 languages so it's believable and I'm gonna go with it but like if someone else is like no that was actually Bill Johnson then like okay fine (laughs) it's a lie but it's what I believe I would want to read a book about him and his life, though. Like, that totally sounds to me like a story of, like, imagine, like, you're a translator for some of the coolest artists in history. That, and, like, you probably have seen so much stuff, but nobody knows your name. Oh, my God. Yeah. Book idea right there. there okay. You go. Well, I Somebody don't write. write so. Somebody write it. <laughs> Someone write it and <laughs> Some- do research. Somebody write it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And please give me the royalties off of this acclaimed book that's coming out. Um, Okay. I just have a few more questions for you. One, of course, super important, which is what is a word you can never spell correctly on the first try? Mm, A word I can never spell correctly. For some reason, I can never spell the word rhythm. I don't know why. It's like I always... There's H's in wrong places. Yeah. Like the H and the Y. And then there's like two H's was like always throws me off. That I think 
rhythm is a word i'm I'm literally like typing to think about it oh and for some reason wednesday the the day of the week i can't like that weird n after the d like i'm always like when did in this day like those are two words that like i always struggle with for some reason those are definitely wednesday is a word i can spell but only because in like elementary school i started just calling it wednesday (laughs) because that's the only way i could do it and rhythm a nearly impossible word there's not enough vowels it's like there's like 12 letters and there's one y and i'm like what are you doing like get a friend There should be an I in there somewhere. Like, it's just, it's a very weird It is. It is. Okay. (laughs) I want to know, because your book came out in the pandemic, how did you celebrate Publication Day? What did you do to kind of honor this accomplishment in your life? Well, on the day of the book coming out, it was a lot of, I did a lot of Instagram lives. That was kind of like, the thing has just been like Instagram lives and Zoom. So on the day that it came out, I mean, it was a little sad. I'm not going to lie. Because I was like, I would be probably at Barnes and Noble or at a bookstore right yeah. now doing a book signing. But um, but no, I, I had so many, like my my sister and my parents and like loved ones sent me like bottles of bubbly and flowers. And I was just like here in my apartment. I literally decided like the morning of, I was like, I'm going to do something on social media to like commemorate this. So I like put on my most like Frida like outfit and just tried to literally think about what would Frida do. Like she would not be here at home feeling sorry for herself. Like you just had a book come out. So I was like, I need to like make it feel special. So I put on like a very cute Frida outfit. I took some pictures with the book and posted them. Um, I drank a lot of tequila that day. (laughs) Just like, you know, got a lot of love for friends and family. So that was that was the day of um, kind of what that day was like. And it ended up being super busy just between, you know, doing some interviews and promo and things like that, all virtual, of course. But then I think my, my like big adventure was I went to Mexico, my first pandemic travel moment. Um, I went back to Mexico City um, with my best friend, Joseph, who works with me at Oprah Magazine. And we um, you know, we were feeling in a place like, keep in mind, I've been in a studio apartment by myself since March. And I was just like, I think if I spend another day alone here in New York, I'm just going to lose it. And so we were at a point where we felt like we felt comfortable enough. And I, I feel like travel in the pandemic is like totally a personal decision. But for me, I felt comfortable enough where we were like, we were going to go to Mexico City, we just stayed in an Airbnb, just the two of us. And we literally just worked remotely, but at least we were like together and we could walk around and just we went to La Casa Azul. And that was for me, I think the the celebration of like, you did this thing, this feels like a special way to celebrate, let's go back to where it all started. And that was super awesome. And it felt like a very full circle moment, like exactly a year later And Mexico City is one of my favorite cities in the world, both because of this book and also just because, I don't know, there's something about the energy there. And I think just the the vibe and the visuals and the architecture of the city that just really inspired me to write. So it actually got me inspired to write again on maybe my next book. That was my next question, which is, do you know what is next <laughs> for you? Um, not, not officially, but I am working on something I hope will cut, it'll turn into something, but it is a novel. It's fiction, which I'm like, I think everyone's like surprised because it's so funny because I never would have thought that my first book would be like a biography. And right. I'm like, no, I want to write like this is like, I've always just been a fiction girl. So um, I am working on like a little, a little something. I'm, it's not like official yet, but I will keep you posted once okay. I know okay. for sure what it will be. But I, I've honestly just been really excited that I have been inspired to write again. I think just because mm. this pandemic and like all of the energy, the down energy of everything that's been going on and also, you know, again, like I think because of my day job, a lot of the times I am kind of creatively a little zapped by the end of the day. So the fact that I've been inspired to write, I'm like, let me strike while the iron is hot and see where this goes. Yeah, I like that. That's exciting for you. I'm glad that you got, again, Mexico City, your creative, your creative muse, I guess. 
for folks who love What Would Frida Do? What are some other books that you might recommend to them? You know, I knew you were going to ask me this because, again, I'm a, I'm a fan of the podcast. And I was thinking about it and I was like, what would I recommend? Because I do think that the book is so unique and that it, obviously it's very specifically about Frida. But I think it's unique in that it's like a biography, but it's also like kind of self-help. And I, I haven't really like come across a lot of books that kind of like do that d- double dance of like self-help and biography. Um I I mean, I definitely think like if you are a super Frida fan and you want even more than like what I gave the 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 biography from 1983 by Hayden Herrera, um, which is just Frida, that is an amazing read because there's like tons more detail there about her life that I couldn't even get into in my book. Um, but what are other books that I would recommend? Um, I think that's kind of it again because like I think for me the problem is that I read so much fiction that I'm just like everything I can think of is like a novel like I, there are so many books that I read this leave this year that I absolutely loved but they're nothing like my book so it's like the total opposite have you ever heard of the book called the creative habit by Twyla Tharp do you know that book I've you know a few, a few people have mentioned it to me but I haven't read it so that's a book that I might pair with this um Twyla Tharp is a very famous choreographer she choreographed the musical moving out. So a lot of people would know her Mm -hmm. from that. Um, And she writes a book about just being creative. So it's sort of a very small part of your book, but they do kind of pair nicely because it talks about her and the, and the art that she creates, the the choreography that she does. And because she's sort of a celebrity type person, it's a little bit memoir-y and then also much more about how she actually creates like the the ways in which she creates ritual around that and stuff. So they're kind of similar, super different, but also kind of in conversation, I would say. I, okay. I have to check this out because you're like the third person I feel like who has mentioned this book to me. So I definitely want to check it out because I'm, I'm literally looking at like my stacks of books here and it's literally all like rom-coms, novels. <laughs> like I, I just finished last night, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, which was mm. such a great, I like could not put that book down. Um, Mexican Gothic I also like Mexican Gothic comes to mind because it's set in Mexico and it's um it was such a brilliantly written book and I feel like it just like transported me to Mexico in many of the ways that I hope that um you know what would free to do would do but it's also like a gothic horror novel set in then like the 1960s so it's right, not necessarily right, right. the same but that was a book that I really loved yeah no I I like yeah I feel like sometimes it doesn't have to necessarily be the same, but just kind of books are in conversation or that kind of spark on certain things. Cause you know, like if you read yeah. a book that you love, you don't want to go and read the exact same book, but just like a different exactly. subject. You kind of want to like read around it and kind of like live in it. So I feel like those are good, good combos to, to mix with your book. Who has been the most exciting person for you that expressed interest in your book? Oh, the most exciting person. I mean, for me, so Gail, who obviously is a little biased because she's my former boss, but Gail King, who is also uh, a host on CBS This Morning, the morning that the book came out, I had no idea that she was going to do this. But on CBS This Morning, they do like their pick of the day or whatever, where they talk about like things happening in the news or like interesting things that they want people to know about. And Gail brought up my book and talked about how, you know, she read the book and she how much she loved it. And I was just like so surprised because I was like, you know, I knew that she would, I, I hoped that she would support it in some like small way, but I was like shocked that it was on CBS this morning and she right. was talking about it. And it was also just a very full circle moment because she was my former boss and she literally is like the person that I owe so much to. So her, I think talking about the book was amazing. Um, also Nina Garcia, who's the editor in chief of Elle and 
um, of Project Runway fame. She yes. blurbed the book, which I could not believe it that <laughs> she that she did that, and she had such nice things to say about the book. So I think, and I, you know, I've looked up to her for so long as both a journalist and as a Latina. So I think the two of them were like kind of really big heavy hitters where I was like, oh, snap, like, okay, this book is like getting real visibility now. And it just, it was so, so overwhelming. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is my last question for you. Who is one person dead or alive you would want to read this book? I mean, is the obvious answer Frida? <laughs> I sort of <laughs> feel, feel like, like it is. <laughs> Right? Like, that's the most obvious answer. So aside from Frida, the person I would really want to read this book. Honestly, I've been dying to get the book into the hands of Selma Hayek because she Mm. played Frida in the movie. And I would be like, I just would love to hear her thoughts as somebody who also had to really like immerse herself into the life and like channel into Frida's life and channel her energy. And um, I think that she did such an incredible job portraying her. And she also like over the years has just been such a big fan of hers and talking about and sharing her art and her legacy and so I think that if Selma Hayek is out there <laughs> like I've tried I've tried reaching out to her team and I'm like I really want to get the, my book into her hands but um she's someone that comes to mind I think because I feel like she would be a dream person and that she would get the like love and fascination with Frida and also I would just like want to know her thoughts and like did she think that I got it right and did she like also find this part interesting and all that kind of stuff yeah that's a really really good answer aside from obviously Frida um well Ariana thank you so much for being here everyone at home you can grab the book what would Frida do a guide to living boldly by Ariana Davis wherever you get your books it is out in the world it is we didn't even talk about the cover but it is beautiful the book is gorgeous inside it's gorgeous as well it's not just Ariana's prose but there's also quotes and sort of fun listicle type things um so please 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 check out the book wherever you got your books and Ariana thank you for being here Thank you so much for having me. My my bookstagram podcast girl crush. I'm so happy to be here. This was so this is so so lovely and so much fun. Well, thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you to Ariana Davis for being my guest. The Stacks Book Club selection for December is Citizen and American Lyric by Claudia Ranking. We will be discussing this book on December 30th with Darnell Moore. Please make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out the website, thestackspodcast.com. Today's episode was edited and produced by Sebastian Alcala. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajith. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.